This message was preached as pulpit supply by Jared File. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it is beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And we're going to look at a strange text today. Um, strange in that uh, uh, there, it's, it's difficult to understand. Uh, many different interpretations have come out in the, in the, uh, over, the, over the years. And uh, some of it to our, our modern ears just sounds kind of bizarre. Um, but let's look at, at the text um, and see what God's word has to say. Uh, just, just a little bit before I, I do, be, do dive into the text. Um, one of my convictions about preaching is I believe in expository preaching and going through, uh, through the books of the Bible. Um, I, I think that helps us to maintain God's agenda on things. It would be easy just to kind of pick a topic here and pick a topic there and, and just deal with what I think needs to be done. But by going through books of the Bible, um, I'm able to, to kind of stay tethered to the word. And able to, uh, uh, to, you know, when we come to a passage that, that deals with something that may be sensitive, um, uh, I've got I've to deal with that. Because if I don't, people are going to ask, why are you skipping that? And, uh, if, uh, uh, and I have the advantage of, you know, if somebody gets um, uh, upset with a passage I'm preaching, I, I just have to say, well, it, it's in the text. I, I, I couldn't just skip it. So, um, and as such, uh, as believing in uh, preaching through the Bible, um, I've been in a series through uh, Genesis uh, starting in chapter 1. And uh, so I, I want to lay the scene for us where we are at. We, we, at the beginning, of course, in chapter 1, we see creation and how God made all things. He, he created, He just spoke and he created a light. He created the heavens and the earth. He, everything he created, it, it was just by the power of his word, he spoke and it was there. And um, then we see how in tenderness he created man and woman and placed them in a garden, in, in a paradise. He created them in his own image uh, to reflect his glory, uh, to... to um, exercise his dominion over all of the creatures of the earth. And uh, he gave them that one command. Do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know that um, Adam and Eve, they failed the test. They, they disobeyed God. They, they partook of that fruit. And God had told them, in the day that you eat it, you will surely die. And while... Adam and Eve didn't die in that moment. The sentence of death was pronounced upon them. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, uh, God gives a curse upon the serpent. He gives a curse upon the ground. He does not curse Adam and Eve themselves. But he, he, gives them, he tells them what their penalty will be. Uh, there'll be a distortion of the relationship between man and woman. There'll be um, uh, difficulty in childbearing and in, in growing crops and things like that. Uh, there'll be 
But there will also be a promise. And he promised, I think I shared this the last time I was here during the revival, about the seed of the woman, this descendant of Eve that would come one day and crush the serpent's head. And in chapter 3, we have that, that promise of the Messiah that's to come. The Savior who is to come, who would crush the serpent's head and save all of humanity. And you see the very next chapter, you have a child that's born of Eve. And the hopes and expectations that are on Eve, uh, that, that maybe this will be the one. This might be the, the seed, the, the one who's going to save us. It's Cain. And he has a brother named Abel. And he kills his own brother. And the hopes are dashed. Hopes are dashed. Where is the seed going to come from? And at the end of chapter 4, we have another seed that God has provided in Seth. In chapter 5, there's this genealogy going from Adam all the way up to Noah. And you see the consequences of sin being laid out. You have this person lived so many years and he had children and he died. And he died. And he died. And with the exception of Enoch, we see and he died and he died and he died over all of these different generations until we come to Noah And when Noah is born, his father says, this is the one who will bring us relief from the curse on the ground. Looking back to Noah's father, Lamech, he had this expectation and this hope because of the promise that God had gave that there will be a seed, someone who will bring us relief from the curse. And so Noah is born. um, And then we come to chapter 6. And it tells us of, of, of this occurrence where, where the sons of God come, have, have uh, become married to these daughters of man and bear children. And, and this, this strange occurrence, we'll look at it in more detail after we read the text. But I wanted to show us kind of where we are here in, in, uh, in the context of Genesis. So verse 1 says, When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man upon the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truthful. It is inerrant. It is inspired. And you have... Uh, things in it that you want us to know from this text. 
Father, we we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. Pray that you would give me grace, give me strength. I pray that the, the focus of the attention today would be upon your word and that we would hear from your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So it begins, when man began to multiply on the face of the land. This word multiply, it may harken back to the command that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And we see with this genealogy that leads us up to chapter 6 that, that they began to do that. They, they, they obeyed God's command to be fruitful and multiply. And, and, and here, chapter 6 tells us, when they began to multiply upon the face of the, worth, of the earth, something happened. Daughters were born to them, and the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took wives any they chose. But what is this about? Who are the sons of God and the daughters of man? There's, this is where we get kind of confusing. This is where it gets difficult. Um, different interpretations have risen over the years. Um, and, and I don't think this is something that we should be divisive about. Uh, it, it's, it's a difficult passage. We can just acknowledge that. And, and, and I think each of us just has to be convinced in their own mind about, about what, this, what this is saying. Uh, but I think I'm going to advocate for the one that I think makes the most sense. One of the, these interpretations, which is not the one I'm taking, is, is that this is the godly line of the, the sons of God or the godly line of Seth. And then the, the daughters of man would maybe be the, 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 uh, the daughters of Cain. And that these were intermarrying. And that, uh, um, uh, that this, this was infecting that, that line that the seed was supposed to come from. And uh, that, uh, uh, that this led to, um, it, it led to uh, the, the flood coming and God's destroying of the world. But, but basically, the interpretation would be that, that it's the, the godly line of Seth and... The, the wicked line of Cain that are coming in and intermarrying. Um, but if we look at the phrase, the sons of God, throughout the rest of the Old Testament, um, the sons of God elsewhere in the Old Testament always refers to angelic beings. Uh, we've got the book of Job. And you may think of the book of Job and the introduction to the book of Job where, where um, it says that the sons of God would come before um, before God, and at, at that time, Satan also came. You may think about that from the book of Job. Um, another place in the, um, the book of Job also talks about, were you there? Or, or, or the, the, the sons of God rejoiced whenever I created things. And uh, we have Daniel, whenever, uh, Daniel, uh, whenever Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fiery furnace. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar says, well, well, there's didn't we throw four, three men in the fire? But there's there's four there. And the fourth looks like a, the son of God or a son of the gods. Um, also, the implication being this, this may be an angelic being. Uh, so from elsewhere in the Old Testament, it seems like 
Uh, these are angelic beings who, who had fallen, who, who saw that the, the, the daughters of men were attractive and then came down. And as the text from uh, Jude and, and Second Peter say, they left their proper domain and, and came down and, and married human women. Um, from the New Testament, we have those two passages. The passage that um, Chad read from in Second Peter. Uh, and we have uh, the book of Jude also talks about how angels left their proper domain and sin. And, and in the passage that uh, Chad is talking about, uh, some people see that as three different uh, Old Testament examples of, of different um, um, uh, of judgment and salvation. Um, but actually it's two examples. You've got, you've got the angels who were... Uh, who had fallen that God had consigned to hell uh, in contrast with Noah, uh, who God saved through the judgment. And then uh, the second um, um, example of an Old Testament um, judgment that that, uh, Peter gives is Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, You've got God judged the people of Sodom and Gomorrah while saving um, no, a, a lot and his family, his daughters from, from judgment. So for those reasons, uh, because of the New Testament references back to this passage and because of the fact that, that all of the other references, there's only a few of them, uh, of, of the sons of God in the Old Testament refer to these angelic beings. I, I, believe, I think the thing that makes most sense according to the text would be, be that these, these angelic beings... Fallen angels came and married human women. And uh, it says they took wives, any they chose. And then the Lord said, my spirit, my spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Um, in the genealogy we see before this, we've got chapter 5 where there's people living 900 years. You know, Methuselah, the oldest man, was 969 years. Um, uh, Jared, I believe it was, my namesake, uh, uh, the, the grandfather of Methuselah, lived 962 years. We had Adam that lived over 900 years. Uh, we had all these, these people who were living all these lengthy, lengthy lifespans. Um, and, and because of the wickedness of human beings, because of, of this unnatural thing that was taking place, uh, God looks at that and says, my spirit shall not abide with man any longer. And there's a consequence of all this, this wickedness that has entered the world. And, and he limits the lifespan of human beings. Uh, after this point, uh, it will be 120 years or so. And... Um, you do see after the flood, there's, there's still these lengthy lives. There's, there's lives that, that are in, in a few hundred years, but it seems the further you go in the Pentateuch, uh, the, the shorter the lives get to be. And when you get to Moses at the end of the, the first five books of the Bible, how long does he live? But 120 years. The person who wrote that passage, uh, Moses, who was, who was writing uh, the first five books of the of the Bible. He lived to be 120 years old, still with strength, but but uh, but wouldn't be allowed to go into the promised land. So we've dealt with that. Now we come to this pat, this phrase: the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Now who are they? 
Uh, some have, have said that they are the, 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 the product of this relationship between uh, human women and these angelic beings, the Nephilim. The word literally would mean uh, fallen ones. Um, the, the, uh, the way that the uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament uh, read, they, they translated it as giants. And you can see that because the word Nephilim is used one more time within those first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote. Um, when you come to Numbers chapter 13, uh, Moses had sent these 12 spies. Remember the story? He spent the, sent this 12 spies into the land to spy out the land before they go in uh, to take the land. And when they come back, you've got Joshua and Caleb that are all excited. They're ready to go in and take the land. But you've got the other 10 spies who are saying, no, we can't do it because the Nephilim are there. And we were grasshoppers in their sight. So um, the original readers of the Bible, of, of, these, uh, of Genesis and of, of the first five books of the Bible, would have known who these Nephilim are. Uh, we, we, we're, we, we have trouble. We, we have to kind of make guesses about who these, who these Nephilim are. But the, the first readers, Moses' first audience would have known these Nephilim uh, who these Nephilim were. They, they saw them as giants. They were, they were big and scary people. And what Moses is here recording in, in verse 4 is, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. <laughs> this is difficult. Uh, this, is, this is really, it seems to us bizarre to, to think of this. Um, and like I said, I don't think we should be divisive about how we understand these texts. These are difficult texts. But um, I, I, it seems to make sense to me, this. Um, one of my teachers, uh, I'm, I'm depending here on, on him, he said that uh, when you look at that phrase and also afterward, uh, the, the, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God came into the daughters of man. Uh, this isn't necessarily talking about after the flood, but it's, it's saying the Nephilim were there in the days whenever the sons of God uh, came down and intermarried with, with the daughters of man, and also after the time that these angelic beings came down and uh, intermarried with the daughters of men. So they were there before this occurrence with the, uh, the um, daughters of men, and after. And, and what he argued, and I, what I think makes sense, is that what Moses is writing here, he's saying... The, these Nephilim uh, that in Numbers chapter 13, the ones who are, are there in the, uh, 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 the promised land, when they're about to go in, they're not some children of the gods. They're, they're, they're not some uh, um, like what you might see in, in uh, Homer and in, in the Greek literature about these, these, uh, these demigods and things like that. That's not what they are. They were, both, they were there both before this occurrence with the sons of God and the, and the daughters of men, and they were also there afterwards. They're, they're nothing to be afraid of. 
is what I think Moses is, is getting across to his original audience. Anyway, this is a difficult passage. There are lots of different interpretations and, uh, and um, um, we shouldn't be divisive about that. Verse 5. Here, here uh, I think we get to, to where I'm going to be going with the rest of the, the message, which I'm running out of time. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man that I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. So we've got a couple of things that... In summary, uh, both the, the, this incident with the sons of God and the daughters of man, um, I, I think is an example of the wickedness that has spread due to the, the sin that's come into the world. Uh, God has, has seen how, how our, our hearts, human hearts, are filled with evil all the time. Every day, our, 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 the intentions of the thoughts of our hearts we're just evil. It was that time of the day of Noah. And you know what? Uh, Jesus said, at the end times, it will be like it was in the days of Noah, right? We, we, we are still that way. Our, our hearts are still an idol factory, like the, the reformer said. We, we, our, our, our thoughts, apart from the grace of God, are just continually wicked. But... Uh, well, and because of that, God's justice and judgment was sent upon the earth. He determined that he was going to wipe out all of the life upon the earth. <laughs> and, and we have a judgment that's coming someday. He's coming again. And this time, he, he, he came the first time to die for our sins and to open this opportunity of grace, but at the same time, He's coming again and then He will come in judgment. There, there, is, there is a judgment that each one of us will face. Each one of us will die. And Hebrews chapter 9 tells us, after that we will face the judgment. And the text tells us, just like, just like they had a judgment that was coming, a judgment that was coming because of the wickedness of their hearts, Noah found grace, he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We have, just like the ancient people, a judgment that is coming. Each one of us will stand before our Maker one day and we will give an account for everything we have done. We need to be ready for that judgment that is coming. Noah found favor in God's eyes. He found grace in God's eyes. There is grace that is available. There is grace. When we stand before Him, we, we, if, if, if we had to give an account for every sin that we've ever committed, no one could stand before Him. We would all be completely consumed in His wrath. But we can have grace. And the way we can have grace is by faith. Just like Abraham later on in the, in the book of Genesis. He, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
We believe God and we trust in that one that was promised in Genesis 3. The seed of the woman that would come and crush the serpent's head. How can we escape the wrath of God like like the ancient peoples and, and the flood that came? How can we escape the wrath of God by believing God? Noah believed God and he built an ark. We believe God. We trust in that seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who came to crush serpent's head, to die for our sins and rise again. We can have grace. We can have our sins forgiven. We can avert, be, have the wrath of God averted so that we don't have to face it by looking to Jesus, by believing God, and by trusting in the seed of the woman who came. This is a hard text. And I do need to close because we are running out of time. I just want to emphasize here, I think the things that we see from this text are there is a judgment that is coming just like it came in the past. There is a certain judgment that is coming and we can have favor in the eyes of the Lord. We can escape that judgment just like Noah did by looking to the Savior, by looking to Jesus who came, who was promised from the very beginning. We can have Salvation by looking to Jesus. So look to Jesus.